Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. This morning, we'll be bringing a message called Real Joy, Part 2. Real Joy, Part 2. And we're in Philippians chapter 1. I have the tendency, because I just love studying the Bible, and of course I appreciate so much our pastor's commitment to um, Bible preaching and just taking it verse by verse and going through a book. And um, I have a tendency, I have to catch myself and stop, uh, sometimes to read ahead. I think some of you that have uh, that gift of teaching, you probably do the same thing, because we're just, we're always studying, right? And we have to slow down and sit and listen and learn. And, uh, and, I, and I found myself doing that. I had no idea a couple weeks ago what I was going to be preaching. I had a couple ideas, I guess, and uh, um, I did have, uh, I, I never want to be at the pulpit with an agenda, and I was tempted to, um, uh, because I want more people in choir, and I was trying, I was thinking of a message to bring to guilt people to, to, I'm just kidding, I would never do that, but it was a thought, I'm human, all right, and, and I pushed it away, right, and I said, Lord, give me a message just to help people, and, and, and Ryan's message was, was so good um, last week, looking at Paul's mindset and example and the opposition, his priority, and, and Ryan said this last week, my, my circumstances don't define my God. Aren't you thankful for that? Because some of our circumstances are just bad. That is just the truth. And we're not, we're not talking about belly aching or whining our way through life. Sometimes we do that. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. Sometimes we just catch ourselves whining or being ingrates, what have you. But sometimes we go through legitimately tough seasons in life, right? And those circumstances are legitimately hard. And it doesn't make you a wimp or a bad Christian if you're having a hard time through those things. Sometimes circumstances are tough, but praise God, those circumstances don't define our God, right? And it's God who can redefine our circumstances. And as I began to read a little bit, I never stopped paying attention, Ryan, I promise, all right? But I read past a little bit, says, man, you know what? I think I know what I'm preaching next week. And so we're going to turn this into a mini-series on real joy, part two. We're going to look at Philippians um, chapter one and just give you some things. I hope that'll be good for life. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we need you. I pray that you'd help the word of God to shine through brightly and powerfully. Give us something good for our lives, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I give you a little bit of background? Would you look at Philippians chapter one and verse number three? Paul says this, is writing to this group of believers, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You have a group of people somewhere else, maybe in another state or maybe where you grew up, right? And you think, when you think of them, it just brings you much joy, right? And, and you tend to thank God for where you came from. Now, not all of us have that, right? Some of us have a past we'd like to forget. Now, God used it, Right? God brings us through some stuff, and He, and he grows us, and He builds us, and, and He gives us a different perspective. Sometimes we come through a really tough childhood or, or a bad church experience or what have you, and you don't want to go back there, but at the same time, we can be thankful for God getting us through those things. 
and the lessons learned and some things that we can pass on to other people. But at the same time, I think if we, if we look intentionally, no matter how dark your past was, no matter how painful the past was for you, you can look back and you can see some people that God put in your way, that God provided for you, a friend, a mentor, parent, family member, what have you, that helped get you through some dark times. And you look back at, a, at, a, at an old church, or you look back at family, you look back at your upbringing, and, and you could think of people that you just thank God for. And Paul, as he'd spent some time, a significant amount of time with this church, and as in his travels and, 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 and his, his ministry of helping and starting and stirring different churches, whenever he looks at the Philippians, man, he says, I, when, when I called, when I remember you, I just thank God for you. He didn't say that for every, in every letter, right? You don't see that in Corinthians. You ever read the Corinthians? There's just some awkward stuff in Corinthians, right? There's some weird stuff in Corinthians. You can't blame Paul for not saying, when, when I think of you, I, I thank God. He doesn't say it, right? Right? He doesn't say it there, but he does for the Philippians. He has, a, he has a special time there and a special relationship. Now, also remember, in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing in prison. He's facing some uncertainty. He doesn't know if he's going to be there for a significant amount of time or if it's going to be shortened by either being randomly released or being put to death. He doesn't know those things. He is sitting in prison, and uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books because it is, it, it is filled with so much joy and encouragement. But think about the human side of the Bible when it's written, the context of the book. And Paul is writing in prison to a church that is very special to him. He says, I, I thank God whenever I think of you. Look at verse number seven. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Isn't that, I mean, it's so precious. It's obvious there is just something very, very special. This church has captured his heart. And Paul had gone from church to church to church to church, started and stirred many, many churches and been around a whole bunch of believers. But there was something very special about this church. And as you read through the book of Philippians, you get a sense of why. I mean, they took care of Paul. They were good to Paul. They, they, they went through some stuff together, right? And now, I mean, he's, they're just in his heart. They're a special group to him. Look at verse number 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So he said, I thank God. Every time I think of you, I just thank God for you, right? You're, you're in my heart, and I think of you often, right? And, and he says this, I, I long after you. He just wants to be with them. So he's sitting in prison, and so he's got his own issues, Right? But his focus is turned to this group of people. Now, now here's the thing. We, we do have to understand, if you have had influence on somebody, whether it be as a teacher or a discipler or just as a friend, you know that that person or group of people that you influenced, you're important to them. And if you stray away from Christ, I mean, you'll really hurt them. You understand that, right? And it's not—we're not trying to guilt, guilt you into, into serving the Lord, but you know that's the truth. But also, people are special to you if you—you're special to people. If you hurt, people hurt for you, right? I, I won't name the child. All of our children have, have, have been, been in college, and they, they've, uh, uh, they all have different personality types, and, and, uh, and one is more of an extrovert, and one is an introvert, one is somewhere in the middle, and, and uh, going off to college, one of our children um, had a particularly hard time 
with the transition. You know how that is, adults. You've been there when you go to a new place and you don't know anybody, and and I mean, you just wish you could go home. And and and, and they 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 uh, they ended up loving it, having a great college experience. But but we knew they were having a difficult time, and and, and they were hurting over it. And you know, it, it hurt us. We were sad for them, right? But of course, we don't want to we we don't want to rescue them from every single hurt or disappointment or sadness in life, right? Because we wouldn't have strong, healthy children making their way through life if we got out of their way and we, if we were bulldozer parents, right, and just getting ahead of them and, and getting every, every single hardship or sadness away from them. But at the same time, of course, we, we feel their pain in essence, right? We're sad for them. And so here's what's going on with the Philippian church. Paul's in prison, and Paul can de- he's dealing with it in his own way. We're seeing it. It's amazing how he's dealing with it. But he understands that the Philippian church, he knows that they're really sad over this. They might be a little anxious over it because Paul was their mentor, their hero, their friend, possibly a pastor for a short time or what have you. And now he's trying to put them at ease and reminding them that they can have real joy. And it's in the book book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse number 13, the most misused verse in the Bible. One of the most misused. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, right? And it is the most misused, that, that verse was not put in there, so you basketball players can claim that when, when you're about to do, you know, you're about to try that three-point shot at the end of the game. No, that was not meant for you at that point, right? That he, Paul was talking about being content in all of his circumstances. And so he's explaining, and man, I'm sitting here in prison, but I have joy, and it has nothing to do with my circumstances. Why? Because as Pastor Ryan said, hey, my circumstances don't define my God. And my God is always good no matter the circumstances, right? And so he says, I can do all things, including being content in prison. Wow. And so he's going through these things and trying to help this church find joy, even in their sadness, grief, fear of their hero, their mentor, their former pastor, being in dire straits. So I'd just like to take a look at the rest of Philippians chapter 1, and give you just five things of what real joy is. Would you look at verse number 15 to start? Verse number 15. Interesting thing going on here. Philippians 1 verse 15. Paul's writing, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Well, hold on a second. He's talking about there's a group of people that are preaching Jesus, but the motivation is envy and strife. What? How does that happen? How does someone get up with the Word of God, preach Jesus, but their motivating factor inside is envy and strife? They're preaching, they've studied up, and they've got this message, but what's driving the message is envy and strife. They're jealous of somebody else, or they're trying to stir up some strife. Does that really happen in the world? Oh, yes, it does. It's no new thing. It's happening way in Paul's day. So he knows that there's a reality, there's a group of people, yes, they're preaching Jesus Christ— They're preaching a gospel message, but there's envy and strife behind it. Hey, there's nothing new. Hey, there's been jealousy. There have been haters from from the beginning of time. And Paul understands that there are a group of haters, for whatever reason, believers, who who still don't like him. Paul had the hardest time breaking into the, the fellowship of believers, right? When he first got saved, I mean, you can't really blame the believers, because Paul was running around as Saul killing believers. All of a sudden, he gets saved. He's trying to bust into the fellowship of the believers, and there's a bunch, even the disciples of Christ, they, were, they held him at arm's length. They didn't know what to think of Paul. 
And it took Barnabas and, and maybe another, uh, uh, another believer to say, hold on a second. No, we got to give him a chance. Or, no, we've seen he's been running around. He got saved and he's been running around Arabia for a few years and he's been leading, leading people to Christ. And, and we see that there's, there's fruits of his salvation. And it took some people to really make this thing happen. And, and Paul, it took some time for him to bust in to the fellowship of believers and apparently, this is just a guess, I don't know exactly what the envy is, what the problem is, why believers still don't like Paul. It might still be that, that, that factor there of people. And this guy killed maybe some family members of some of these other preachers who are envious or who, who are striving against Paul. There's something personal there, right? And so Paul's acknowledging some are preaching Christ, even of envy and strife, continue, and some also of goodwill. So no, there's, a, there's an element of people out there, they're, they're preaching, and, and it's, it's coming out of envy and strife, or they, they're, taking, uh, they're taking advantage of the situation while I'm in prison to, to inflict more pain on me. Wait, wait, are, are they really doing that? We're seeing it here in Scripture, verse number 16. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. So here's this group of people. They don't like Paul. Paul is sitting in prison. They're taking advantage of the situation to, to get up and preach. And they are preaching Christ, but there's some elements of the message that are coming out. Maybe they are falsely accusing Paul. Maybe they're taking advantage of the situation. Paul's in prison. They have a platform. They're going to preach Jesus. Yes, they're going to preach a message. But at the same time, they're going to throw darts and spears at Paul to take advantage of that situation to sow this strife and envy against Paul, it says it right there, supposing to add affliction to his bonds. Paul is sitting in prison, and there are believers who are making it worse on him. How sad. But he did acknowledge already, verse number 15, some of goodwill, some of envy and strife, but some of goodwill. Verse number 17, but the other of love. Wow. Knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So I know Paul is saying there's that group of people, they're preaching in a way and they're attacking me and they're adding affliction to my bonds, but praise God, there's another group, there's another faction of, of, of Jesus-loving believers that are preaching out of love, knowing that Paul is set for the defense of the gospel. In verse number 18, he says, what then? So what am I supposed to make of this? There's that group. We know their motivations aren't good, right? We know that. What then? Notwithstanding... Wow, this is convicting. Every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Then he says this, and I therein do rejoice, and yea, and will rejoice. He says, I know there's this crowd. They don't like me. They've never liked me. They're taking advantage of the situation. They're adding affliction to my bonds. And there's this group, they're preaching out of love, and they know that I'm just trying to, I'm doing my best to defend the gospel. So what then? What do I do with that? I'm going to rejoice that the gospel is preached, period. Hmm. Number one, real joy. Joy in the gospel preached by the competition. He's finding joy in the gospel preached by the competition. I didn't know what the best word to put there. Enemies would be the wrong thing, wrong word, Right? I mean, Jesus Christ, and you remember the, the disciples, they're still growing. They're getting discipled by Jesus Christ, and, and they're walking through their life, and they're seeing miracles happen, and they're, they're sitting at the feet of Jesus, and they're hearing Jesus preach and teach, and incredible things are happening. All of a sudden, there's a group of other followers of Christ, but they're not hanging out with the 12 disciples, and the disciples tattle on that group. 
He says, Lord, there's another group over here, and they are doing stuff in your name, but they're not part of our club. And Jesus, what did Jesus Christ say? He said, let them alone. If they're not against us, we're on, in essence, the same team. We're on the same team. That's Luke 9, chapter 49 and 50. Jesus answered, and John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. We made him stop because he wasn't with us, right? He wasn't in our fellowship. He doesn't do things exactly our way, right? Verse number 50, and Jesus said unto him, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Here's real joy, is that we can rejoice whenever the gospel is preached, period. So wait a minute, their motivations were bad. I know. And that's one of the wonders, the mysteries of life, things that really confuse me. You ever had your heart broken by a preacher that you really respected? Maybe they, they preached a message that touched your life and you got word that they messed up morally or legally or something. Never happened to you. That's happened to me. Men that I've looked up to and they've been living a double life, but you heard them preach and you can put two and two together and you could put the calendars together and you know when you heard him preach, that man was already living a dirtbag type of life. But he touched your life, and he touched many lives. And the truth is, it wasn't him. Where is the power of God? It's in the Gospel of Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it, the Gospel, not the integrity of man, the Gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. And I'm not saying that it's okay for a man to live a double life. No, they'll, they'll stand before God and they'll pay a price uh, uh, in heaven and uh, on earth as well. Um, hopefully, I mean, at times um, it, it happens. But at the same time, it is proclaimed in Scripture that the power of the gospel is in the gospel itself. Now, we all have a responsibility to walk with God. Every single one of us, whether you're living out in, in, in your, your world, living out your life out there, or those who, um, uh, who, who do it vocationally and, and preach from pulpits, it is my responsibility. I'm not saying it's okay, but ultimately, it's the power of the gospel that changes lives. And so Paul understands this, because I know what these guys are doing. But hey, while they're preaching, the message of Christ is coming out, and I know they're trying to hurt me. But someone's going to hear that Jesus loves them, and I'm going to rejoice in that. Wow. Wow. In the competition. You know, if there's a church down the street that preaches Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, coming again, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by him, you know, they're not my enemy. It doesn't matter if they don't do things exactly how I like it. You know, they, you know what? I, I'm human. I've been a Baptist all my life, so I, have, I believe weird things, right? You know what I'm saying if you've been a Baptist too. I just got weird beliefs, right? But at the same time, I understand now what, you know, the things that we go to war over is what the Bible declares, right? Not over our opinions. For example, I don't like banjos. I should have said that because, you know, next, <laughs> next month I bet we're going to have a group that has banjos and everybody's going to be staring at me the whole day, Right? <laughs> But then there's true. I don't like banjos. I mean, there's only so much I can. I just ah, it bothers me, right? But it's not a sin. If there's a church down the road and that's their worship, is banjos? I won't go there. But <laughs> they're not my competition and they're not my enemy, 
right? It's just my personal preference. It's their personal preference. It's okay if they're preaching Jesus crucified, risen, and coming again, and He is the way, the truth, and life. I will rejoice that the gospel of Christ is going out, right? I don't like, and I've been— I, I'm, I'm a classically trained singer. I, I took voice lessons. Um, my, my voice teacher was a professional opera singer, and, uh, and he asked me what my goals were. He says, I'd like to take care of my voice. I'd like to increase my range. I'd like to still be singing when I'm 55. I'm getting closer and closer to that number. And I, so I just want to do it properly, but I don't want to sound like you. I didn't say exactly like that. <laughs> but he understood what I was saying. He said, I just don't want to sound operatic. I just don't want, I don't want to sound like, to me, opera singers sound like they're Kermit the Frog, right? They're just, there's always a Kermit the Frog in, in there, right? And I don't want to sound like that. But I understand, there's churches that, hey, there's the banjo churches. It's okay if you preach Jesus Christ, hey, we're on the same team. And then there's the opera, the high, high church churches. It's not my thing either, all right? And I, and I get it. I, I told my, my vocal coach, my vocal teacher, I want to sing properly, but I don't want to sound like you. I don't want to sound like I'm in the opera, but I want to do it right. I need to tone down the Kermit the Frog, basically, right? It's just not my thing. If there's a church down the road, they're high church, and they don't, they don't, they don't move, or there's no emotion in their worship or praise, hey, I'm probably not going to go there, right? It's not my thing. But if they're preaching Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, and He is the way, the truth, and the life. They're not my competition. They're not my enemy. And I will rejoice that the gospel of Christ goes out through that church as well, right? Then you've got the there's man, there's all kinds, there's a whole spectrum. And, and, and honestly, for me, and I'm about as expressive as it comes when, when, I, when I'm in praise and worship, and I don't know where, where that stuff is coming from. I'm guessing from the hood. I don't know. All of a sudden, I'm realizing, man, I am bobbing my head. During, is that okay? All right? And I, and I say, I better— ch-. I, I'm just—honestly, I'm just enjoying myself. I love good music, and I, and I, and I listen to the words. And, 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 and when we sing and worship, it's not just time filler, folks. You understand that? We are commanded to come before His presence with thanksgiving. It is a commandment. So when we sing corporately or when the choir sings or, or there's a wonderful special number, the Bible says to teach and admonish in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's not just time filler. Those are times of worship and praise and teaching and admonishment and pay attention to the lyrics and, and let Christ teach you through those things, right? And hey, I'm as expressive as it comes, but you know, if there's fog, fog, fog machines and lasers and different you know, that's just, that's not my thing. That's not my thing, right? But, I mean, it, there's, there's, I said, maybe there's a church. No, I know there's churches fairly close by that they have the whole theatrical experience, right? And that's not my thing personally. But if they te- preach Christ crucified, risen, coming again, He is the way, the truth, and life. They're not my competition. They're not my enemy. And is that the way I would do it? No, not at all. But I will rejoice that the gospel of Christ is going forward, right? And then we just bring it into our microculture of Liberty Baptist Church here. You know, we have kind of Liberty Baptist Church has a feel to it, and I love it. I wouldn't be here if I just liked it. Honestly, I I don't know how people go to church if it's just, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good, you know, preaching is solid, music's okay. Like, oh, that sounds miserable to me. 
right? I love it. I absolutely love the feel of our church. But I know that. I mean, hey, we've got a few hundred people in here. We are all different. We're all different. And we can't make a judgment on me. I'm a little bit more expressive in my worship. My, my, I, I, I will do the head bob a little bit like I'm back in the hood, right? And you could judge me. It's like, oh, he is thinking of Eminem. No, I am not. I am not. All right? That's just how I do things. And you can stand there still, all right? Some people raise, their, raise, raise one hand. It took me a while to raise the second hand, all right? That wasn't acceptable for Baptist Baptists, those of you who are in that community group, all right? That, for, that wasn't acceptable for a long time. I had some anxiety the first time I put that second hand up, all right? That, that I didn't know if I could still be a Baptist. And then I closed my eyes. That was, that was a line that I didn't know I'd ever crossed. I had both hands up, my eyes crossed. Or what did my, my eyes cross? I had my eyes closed. <laughs> kind of felt like it, right? We're all different. We're all different. And so I'm not in competition with you. You're not my enemy. And if we're all working together for ultimately the cause of Jesus Christ, I could have joy in the way you live your life for Jesus I'm not talking about, I'm not, we're not talking about excusing sins that are expressly forbidden in Scripture, all right? We're not compromising on Scripture. Where we've gotten wrong in churches and Christianity is we preach for doctrines the commandments of men. And you might like or prefer your other stuff or your way of doing things. We all have our passions, right? Uh, for me, you understand, my, mine is mental health. I can't say that you don't love Jesus because you don't have the passion of mental health. There's other people here. Man, you really have a passion for politics, right? Woo, got to be careful there, right? Okay? Now, we got to be careful there. Your passion for, you got that passion for politics. And me, I just don't have it as much. Honestly, I do care. I do care, but it's not my passion. Hey, over here, you put folks that are really drawn to politics. Hey, don't, don't judge the person who's not. Maybe they have a passion for whatever it is, for, for children's issues or, or abortion or what have you, or, or patriotism or gun rights or whatever it is, right? We all have our different passions, and that's okay. And so we come together as a church, and we have these diversities of gifts because we, we can't all be mental health advocates, Right? We'd all be walking around sad and anxious. I'm just kidding. You know, I'm saying that with love as depression man, right? Okay? But I mean, we can't all, we call, we can't all be walking around with a passion for politics because we'd be fighting over everything, right? But so we have some people that you have that passion, right? And some people have the, 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 the real strong passion for patriotism. And don't, I, I love America, don't get me wrong. But you understand what I'm saying? Some people just have these, we have these different tiers of, of passion and it's okay. We, we can't make the judgment. Hey, they don't love Jesus as much as me because they're not as strong of a Republican as me. No. You have your thing. I have my thing. She has their thing. He has their thing, right? And as long as the gospel comes out, we're going to rejoice because God can use all those different avenues. It's all about we can put out as many nets as possible and me, with my mental health uh, passion, I'm going to reach some people that you're not going to. You, with your political passion, you're going to reach some people that I'm, I, that I'm not going to reach. And, and you just fill in the blank. Joy in the gospel preached by the competition. I promise these next few won't be as long as that. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So we had joy in knowing others are praying 
joy in knowing others are praying. This morning, I got a, a number of texts. People, people know, uh, knew I was going to be preaching, and, and I so appreciate it. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to study, I'm trying to pray, and then a text interrupts. And I'm just kidding. Thank you for your, for your prayer. Honestly, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. It, 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 you, you understand when you just get that text that says, I'm praying for you. And even if, it, if it's just that, it just gives you a little bump, right? It just gives you a little bump. And here's the truth. When somebody is going through a hard time, a difficult season in life, a crisis, some type of trauma or what have you, you pray for that person and you let them know it's not going to automatically heal them. It's not going to end the difficult season, but it will give them strength for that moment. Just a little bit of a lift. And because when people are going through those really, really deep, dark times, and a lot of you, you've been there, it is not day to day. It's moment by moment. It's every little step. And it's wondering if you could just muster up the strength to just go one more little step, right? Oh, man, I've been there. I've been there where joy just seems so hard to find, almost impossible to find, right? And then you get a text just at the right moment. It's like, okay, he's praying for me. I could go one more step. That gave me a little something, right? Gave me a little something. And so there is joy in knowing that others are praying. And here's the challenge in this point. Every single one of us can take part in the ministry of intercession, Jesus Christ gave the example of intercessory ministry, intercessory prayer. He inter he's ever interceding for us. He goes to the Father for us. He's our mediator. On earth, he told Paul, Paul I, he told Peter, I am praying for you. Satan is coming after you, and I am praying for you. Wow. And so every single one of us, hey, but some of us are limited, depending on our, our season of life. Maybe you can't go out and, and knock doors for a couple hours. Maybe you, you fill in the blank. But every single one of us can intercede on someone else's behalf. You can pray for someone in here, and then you can let them know that you've done so. And I promise, hey, it might not fix that situation, but it'll help them do this. Okay, I could take one more step. And that is powerful. That is powerful. And so I would pray for one and say, hey, somebody, somebody lets you know something is, is, is going. And if you could meet a need, meet the need. If it's a fi financial need, meet the financial need. That's what we're supposed to do as a church family, right? We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. But sometimes all you can do is pray. But do it and then let that person know that you did it. And somebody asked you to pray last week. Hey, or, or let's say something happens this week. Next week, find out what happened. Let them know that you're doing so. I promise you, it gives them the strength in that moment to do this and take another step. There is joy in knowing others are praying. Others are praying. Keep, keep going. Would you look at verse number 20? According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Let's stop right there. Number three, there is joy in expectation and hope. There is joy in expectation and hope. Here's the bottom line. Sometimes in our circumstances, we can't find joy in the circumstance, right? We can't for, for that circumstance, right? We're not all, we're human, so we're not always thankful for that speeding ticket right there, right? But since we are commanded to give thanks in all things, right, we're not, we're not ready to thank God for the speeding ticket, right? But since we're commanded to give thanks in all things, 
we need to find a way to thank God in that. Well, Lord, thank you that I didn't get in a car accident. I'm thankful for that. You understand what I'm saying? Be thankful in all things, right? So circumstances, the current circumstances, we might not be able to find joy in there, but for the believer, for the believer, I honestly don't now know how non-believers do it, right? I, I have no idea. But for the believer, there is always hope. There's always hope. Your dark season won't always be dark. There is light at the end of the tunnel. You just don't see it yet. But as you keep trudging and you get that text that someone's praying for you or you get that note or somebody does pray for you and you, get, you can take another little step and you're trudging through that dark tunnel and you can't see the light just right now, I promise you, if you keep taking those steps, eventually you will see the glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. You will. There is always hope for the believer. God promised. He said, I, I know the thoughts I have towards you. He says, I know, I know the plans I have for you. All right, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I love what that, that, that word, that, those words, expected end, literally comes from the Hebrew word that means a cord that is attached. You ever feel like life is so chaotic? It just feels like you're not in God's hand. Now we know deep down at least, as believers, we know, I know God is holding me, I know God is in control, but there are seasons in life where it just doesn't feel like it, right? It doesn't feel like God is in control. Now acknowledge that feelings aren't truth, that'll help. But those feelings can be really powerful. When you meditate on this truth, hey, God, say, God is saying to you right now, I know the thoughts I think towards you, I know the plans I have for you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. So you can know this about God. God isn't planning bad stuff for your life. He's planning wonderful stuff for your life. Right now, it's, it's tough. It's chaotic. It feels like not in control. He's giving you an expected end, meaning, hey, there's this cord that's attached. And even though it doesn't feel like his arms are wrapped around you, it feels like you can't hold on to him. It doesn't matter. You're attached to God. He's still in control of you. He knows the thoughts and plans that he has for you. We don't know it. We would like to know right now. Wouldn't it be nice what he's trying to do? For you and I, though we don't always know, there is joy in expectation and hope. And look at what, these, what expectation and hope can bring. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, verse 20, right? but that with all boldness, it gives us boldness. As always, it gives us grace for consistency. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my, in my body. It gives us a magnifying mentality. We want Christ to be larger than our life, whether it be by life or by death. It gives us eternity-focused fearlessness. Look at verse number 21. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he had joy in a win-win or can't lose reality. He had joy in a win-win or can't lose reality. You know, there's very few seasons in life or decisions in life that are truly win-win, can't lose. My wife and I recently had an opportunity to go to Hawaii for the first time. And the story behind that, there's this conference I've been wanting to go through all year, and uh, it's something to help equip me as we're leading our, our community groups, and it's been wonderful. If you haven't been involved in the community, you've got to be involved in that. We're going to start next, uh, another quarter in January. But I wanted to go to this conference, and all through this year, because of COVID, they've been canceled. There was one in Las Vegas, and, and uh, I mean, just it was close by, not because it's Vegas, but because it was close by. I could drive there, but they canceled it. There was one in Denver, okay? That's, that's, you know, I could take a quick flight over to Denver. They canceled it. And then we're coming up at the end of the year, 
I had my choice of Hawaii or Ohio. <laughs> I know that's lame, right? Honestly, I was embarrassed when I came to pastor. I said, you can ask him. I came to, I came to his office. Okay, pastor, I know this is lame. Right? You know that conference I've been wanting to go to? So the last ones for the year are either Ohio or Hawaii. <laughs> and he just laughs. Go to Hawaii, man. It's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And so I went to this conference. It was intense. A couple days, seven hours a day, a little bit overkill. And then I was able to bring Brenna over for a couple days. And we, we got to enjoy Hawaii. And if you know me, you know I love donuts. And so I had my food. I love food. And I had my, my food itinerary set. You know, I did different things that I, you know, I, we were going to go to this place. I got to get some shrimp. I got to get a, you know, Hawaiian plate, all these different things that I do. But so there were three donut places I want to hit, but only time for two. Oh, yeah, I know. And um, <laughs> so when everybody says, you got to go to Leonard's, Malasada's, Leonard, who, who's ever had a Malasada? Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, goodness. All right. And, you know, so they're just the, the Hawaiian donut. It's a Portuguese donut. It's, it's unique. It has a, you're supposed, the, the haupia is the thing that's like a coconut custard. It's not exactly custard, but it, it's so good. Just go. Um, and it's, and so I knew, knew I had to go there. I went to the truck. Sandy and Marquis said, don't go to the truck. It's not as good. I went to the truck and it wasn't as good. Good call. And so I, I went to the bakery, Leonard's Bakery, and a whole different experience. So good. Stood in line. So, so good. And then so there's two more. Um, but there's, so I, I knew I couldn't fit one, and I was so sad, right? But I, so which one do I choose? Do I choose um, Holy Grail donuts or Purvey donuts? Well, Holy Grail sounds more spiritual. I don't know. I'm just trying. <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm going to miss out on one. I mean, what if it's, but they're donuts. It's win-win, right? I can't lose. They're donuts. And so we went to Holy Grail. Amazing donuts, right? But at the same time, hey, it was, kind of, it was a win-win situation for me, right? Either way, I was going to get donuts, right? How do you, Paul's captors, they're either, they want to put him to death or they, they want to stop him from preaching Jesus Christ, right? And so they've threatened him with death. Says, you, we're going to, man, we're going to kill you. We're, you're, you're, you've breathed your, you're, you've eaten your last meal. And Paul says, well, if I die, I see Jesus, could you imagine being his captors and just being so mad? Like, what do you do with this guy? You can't make him miserable. <laughs> We're going to set you free. Oh, yes, I get to serve Jesus again. That's a lot. What am I doing with this guy? And so there's joy in a win-win, can't lose reality. And I chose that very carefully, very intentionally, because we're all living in that reality if you're a believer. Right now, it feels like you're losing. But we win in the end. I promise you we win. I promise you. Right now, life is hard. And you're hurting, painful. That season will end. It will get better. If you're a believer, I promise you. I promise you on the authority of the word of God. It will get better. You will see the light of day. You will see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. You will breathe fresh air again. I promise you, you will. If you're a child of God, you win. You can't lose. You can't lose. And there's Paul's mentality. Hey, if I die, it's better, right? If I live, it's another day to live for Jesus Christ. And then lastly, and I'm done, there's joy in helping others. Joy in helping others. Look at verse number 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. What did he just say? He just said, hey, I'm in the straight betwixt two in verse number 23. Hey, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I have a desire 
to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He's saying the ultimate, the ultimate um, conclusion to this whole situation is that I die and I get to embrace Jesus. That's the best. That's the best thing for me. But he said, nevertheless, you know what's more needful for you? Is that I stick around on this dirty, sinful, and ungrateful world because I know that would help you. I'd rather go see Jesus right now, but I know I could be a help to you. There's a joy in helping others. My friends, believers, when's the last time you made a decision that you knew was more negative for you, but you made it because you knew it would be better for someone else? A lot of parents do that. If you're a young person in here, you don't even know the sacrifices mom and dad have done. Put away some ambitions, some dreams, some material possessions. Why? So they could raise you, do their very, very best for you. I promise you, you, you have no clue. You have no idea. But mom and dad, they probably did that for you. Why? Because there's joy in helping others, right? There's some of you, I, I praise God that I get to work here. I, I make my living serving God in this church and serving this church family. I love it. And there are times as we're trying to um, solicit volunteers or leaders or things like that, and I feel kind of bad, feel embarrassed a little bit because, man, I know you're living your life and you're trying to make a, a, a living and, and, and you've got a busy life and you're, you're juggling this and that and sports and school and work and all these things and we're asking you to help out. And, and what I found that people do it, why not for a paycheck, Right? because there's joy in helping others. And then so you sacrifice and you serve. And you do great things for God. Why? Because, hey, you know what? It would be better for me ultimately to do this, but I know it would benefit other people if I do this. Here's real joy. What has given Paul the power in prison, facing death, possible death, ultimately is that, you know what? Either way, I can't lose. And if I get to walk out of here, I'm going to walk out of here and help others know Jesus Christ more. Real joy. Once again, I don't know how non-believers do it. But you don't have to walk out of here an unbeliever. Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. You're a sinner. You've missed the mark. There's no way that you can merit heaven on your own. But Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin debt. He died and he rose again. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you're like me, I was a Catholic. I was sprinkled as a baby. And I was told that that sprinkling washed away my original sin. My friend, I'm not trying to be offensive, but you won't find that anywhere in Scripture. It's nowhere in Scripture. The Bible says it's only Jesus Christ that can wash away your sins. Shed his blood, rose again for you. And you can leave this place knowing that you're a child of God and you can experience real joy. Real joy. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.